Well, good morning. Look, look how many people are here. This is great. I, I, I would just say that the weather being warmer is certainly helpful when you wake up in the morning and you think, well, should I go or not? So thank you for being here today. It's great always as the Holy Spirit continues to gather us together and creates the body of Christ, the church. Uh, and speaking of church, I, I grew up in church, going to church. My family went to church. You know, we very rarely missed a Sunday. Went to the worship service, uh, went to Sunday school, then I went uh, to youth group during, you know, the middle of the week, uh, when I was, I guess, probably 12 years old, went to confirmation and uh, learned all, memorized all different kinds of things, right? You know, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and, and lots of, of famous, well-known scriptures, memorized all this kind of stuff. Even the, the titles of all the books in the Bible, you know, the, the whole thing is cramming more and more knowledge and information inside of my head. And I really have to say the big difference between my experience and other people, other friends of mine who went to different churches was that, you know, they all seem to be a lot more excited about this whole faith thing than I was. I was looking for a way to get out of going anymore. And they, on the other hand, were really excited most of the time, you know, and, and you know the people that I'm talking about, right? The born again people. Like, you can't even say that phrase, born again, without having an instant reaction. It's almost like everybody in the room just sort of takes a step away. And uh, because that term, this phrase, born again, has come to mean so many different things to so many different people. It's been distorted. It's been corrupted. It's been understood as, as nothing more than like some kind of uh, emotional experience that you had or, or, or a, a label that, uh, that people put on uh, certain groups of people that, that have you know, particular ways of understanding things or doing things or anything like that. And so this idea of born again automatically creates in us a reaction that usually, almost always, creates a fair amount of suspicion. And so I had one of these born-again friends of mine. Again, this, this uh, young lady was really excited about all the faith uh, journey that she was on, and so she invited me to go to church. And so just pretty much out of curiosity, I went to see what this was going to be like. Now, I, I got to be honest, I expected to, to walk into basically what amounts to like some kind of new age cult. And I figured that this is where this is where the goofy stuff starts to happen. But you know what? It wasn't it wasn't really all that much different than the church that I was going to. The music was a little bit different and the format was a little bit different. But overall, it was it was kind of the same thing. But then the preacher starts up. Right, and, and I'm listening, and, and he keeps asking this same question over and over again all throughout. How is your relationship with Jesus? How is your relationship with Jesus? Now, in all of the stuff that I had learned, in all of the time that I had spent at church, in all of the things that we had memorized, no one had ever asked me that question. I had never asked myself that question. Matter of fact, I didn't even understand the question. What are you talking about? What do you mean, how is your relationship with Jesus? And so as I'm sitting there thinking, like, I don't even know how to answer this question. Then the next thing out of his mouth was, if you don't know how to answer that question, 
there's a pretty good chance that you're not born again. And I thought, there it is. Here come. They're going to start selling timeshares. Uh, this is going nowhere good. But then he started to read from John chapter 3. And all my suspicions went out the window. Because Jesus talks a lot about this whole idea of born again. And so I had never been really exposed to that or, or taught that or certainly understood that. And so then, you know, as things went on, things started to change for me personally. Uh, I started to understand, oh, wait a minute, this whole relationship with Jesus, this, there's something to this, this idea of this being born again. I, I want to know more about it. And so uh, as we continue in our foundation series, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. We're going to run into a guy named Nicodemus. Now, some of you maybe are familiar with Nicodemus. I personally love Nicodemus. I think that, uh, that there's a lot of similarities between Nicodemus and us that we tend to sort of dismiss. We tend to kind of look at Nicodemus as, well, if you know this story, it's kind of like, well, it's just too bad. Nicodemus, he just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. Uh, but, but we get it. But he didn't get it. But I wanted, before we even read the scripture together, I want to say that we have a lot more in common with Nicodemus than we would ever care to admit. And so as we do this together, keep that in mind. Don't be so quick to point your finger at poor old Nicodemus and say, oh, look how he doesn't get it. Because there are a lot of us that have these same kinds of struggles. And so before we get started, uh, let, let's invite the Lord to be here with us during this time so that we can experience the truth that only comes from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you that, that your word does this mighty transformational work. And so, Lord, we ask now that you don't make this about my words, but we make this about your word, that you come and do what only you can do, that you transform our hearts, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might come to know you and follow you more deeply, that we might uh, be in a relationship with you that changes absolutely everything about what we think and who we are and how we live our lives. Lord, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for being who you are. We surrender this time to you right now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 3 uh, is one of the most foundational in all of Scripture, if not the most foundational in all of Scripture. And so uh, good thing you're here because this is foundations and this is a, a real good foundation of absolutely everything that we understand from this point forward, everything that we experience. Remember, John's point in writing this gospel is not just so that we can know information about Jesus, but so that we can know Jesus. And so we're going to experience that together in this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And so because John chapter 3 is so powerful, uh, we're not going to try to tackle all this at once. We're going to, today we're just going to look at, at verses 1 to 15, uh, specifically at this discussion between Jesus uh, and Nicodemus. So let's start at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so as we start to unpack this a little bit, first we've got to understand a little bit more about who this Nicodemus fella is. Well, first of all, it says he's a Pharisee. A Pharisee, the, the, this group, it's an elite group. Now, we're kind of maybe tempted to think that Pharisees were like a huge number of people. This was actually a pretty small group of, of a Jewish sect called the Pharisees, and they were very religious. And so Jesus tangles with them in, in a lot of these different circumstances. But so the first thing to know is that being a Pharisee means that Nicodemus is part of an elite, powerful class of people in and of him of itself, uh, to be a Pharisee was to be a significant person in society, at least when it came to understanding the law of Moses, not just understanding what it is and knowing what it is, but then also doing the law of Moses. And so the key for us is that he's not just a religious person, he's a religious expert. And he also has power in the sense that he's part of the Jewish ruling council, which is also called the Sanhedrin. So he also has political power as well. He's an important person. And with all of that considered, he's also well off. He's well educated. Yes, we've, we've said that. But he's also well off financially. He's a powerful member of society for all of these different reasons. But, but even with all that, even with all that he kind of has going for him, so to speak, he still somehow knows that there's something missing. There's something not quite right. He doesn't have it all figured out, so to speak. And so he goes to find Jesus to talk to Jesus about this. He, he at least knows enough to know that the answers he are, he's looking for must have something to do with Jesus. And so it says that he visited Jesus. But notice that it says he visited Jesus at night. Visited Jesus at night. Now that is not an insignificant detail. There, we should know something about why that's important. And it has again to do with Nicodemus, his status as an important person, an upper class uh, member of, of the, the Pharisees, uh, the, the, the religious experts. If he were to have found uh, or somebody were to have seen him talking to this Jesus, 
then there would have been a lot of questions for him to answer. There would have been a lot of raised eyebrows. Uh, th this was a risk. And, and that's not just true for Nicodemus. That's true for all of us. There's always a risk coming into contact with Jesus or even getting close to Jesus. There's always a risk because the world doesn't understand Jesus. The world cannot make any sense of who Jesus is or what he's come to do or, or, or anything like that. And so Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, but he's doing it under the cover of darkness. And remember this idea of darkness. The, the, this is a key theme all throughout the Gospel of John. We talked about it the very first week of our series here about what does it mean to come out of the darkness and into the light? the light who is Christ, the, 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 the truth of who Jesus is, to come into that light. And so there's all different kinds of things that are going on here about Nicodemus coming to find Jesus at night. But then he doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be known, he doesn't want anybody to know he's going to, because he also is afraid that this association with Jesus could cause him trouble because Jesus had said enough by that point and, and performed enough signs and miracles uh, that he was already labeled as a troublemaker. He was already, well, you don't quite fit in here. And so he was already identified. And so again, Nicodemus doesn't want the, to be associated, but he is curious. And so not only, remember we talked a few weeks ago about people that are curious that come and try to follow Jesus. This curiosity tends to drive people to get close to Jesus. And so here we have Nicodemus. He's, he's not only curious, but he's serious. He's serious enough about getting the answers he's looking for to go even though it puts him at a little bit of risk in terms of if anyone uh, of his colleagues were to see him, they would have a lot of questions. And so when he finds Jesus at night, the interesting part is he starts off this whole interaction with a confession. It's a confession about something here in, in uh, verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. In other words, Nicodemus knows that there is something special about Jesus. There's something different about Jesus. He can't quite put his finger on it. Can't quite see Jesus for who he is. But he at least is curious enough to go and start asking the questions. Uh, and, and this is a key point for us today just as much as it was for Nicodemus at that point. It's possible for us to see God working in someone else and still not have God working in us. It's possible that you can see God working in someone else and still not have God working in you. And so Nicodemus thinks that the solution to this is that he needs to get answers from Jesus. Now, we might not articulate it in exactly that same way, but essentially it goes back to this same idea of pursuing information about Jesus. Again, cramming our head full of knowledge and memorizing all different kinds of things and then knowing and then doing all the right things and thinking that somehow that is fixing the problem that we feel like, well, there's something missing in me. Where can I fill this gap? How can I fill this gap? We are looking for information in our lives today just as much as Nicodemus was looking for information from Jesus. He asked Jesus a question. He addresses him. This is our big clue here. He addresses him as rabbi. Rabbi means, basically means teacher. 
And so he's approaching Jesus as a teacher. In other words, you have information that I need to know. I know that there's something special about you, and it must be that you know something that I don't. So if I can get in relationship with you and you can teach me what you know and give that knowledge to me, then here's what we all want as human beings. We want that information to somehow unlock these deep things inside of us. Because in the end, we all think, just like uh, the Saturday Night Live skit, some of you are too young for this, but there used to be, uh, shoot, what was it? Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We want that to be true. We want it to be that, well, if we could just be good enough, and if we could just be smart enough, then doggone it, God would like me. So put that on pause for just a minute. But this idea of wanting to help ourselves out of our deficiency is something that comes up over and over and over again. Matter of fact, uh, I, I know that for you younger folks, this, they're not as prevalent as they were before, but we used to have these things called bookstores. <laughs> and when you would go to the bookstore, you would be able to see this magically ever-growing section of books called self-help. And these are the books that continue to be stocked more and more, and the, the section grows bigger and bigger because that's what we're all looking for. Nicodemus is no different than we are in terms of, well, if I could just find the right information, then I could become who I've always been meant to be, and it's all inside of myself. I call it navel-gazing. We just stare at ourselves and think that if we know the right information, it will somehow unlock these deep, deep secrets, and we'll become who we want to be. But Jesus knows that this is what Nicodemus is after, and Jesus knows this is what we're after, and so he shuts the whole thing. He, he can see how this conversation is going to go. He shuts the whole thing right down in verse 3. says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There's that phrase again, born again. This is quite a statement, isn't it? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so Nicodemus, he wants to know what we want to know. Well, if this is what you're saying, how, how is this possible? How is this possible? You can't be born again. What are you talking about? What, what, what does Jesus mean by this idea of, of being born again? And, and instead of just like giving, again, writing a self-help book and giving it to Nicodemus and saying, just follow these three easy steps and you too can be born again. That's not what he does. Jesus instead just doubles down on what he already said. So in verse five, he says again, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. And then in verse 7, he takes all ambiguity out of it and uses the word must. You must be born again. You must be born again. Well, to some of you, that's probably a shocking statement. I know it was the first time I heard it. What are you talking about, born again? So there are three observations I want us to take a look at when it comes to this whole interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus and, and how it, it relates and applies directly to us. And the first thing is this. You, ready for, you better brace yourselves. You ready for this one? You can't be a Christian without being born again. Let that sink in for a minute. 
You can't be a Christian without being born again. You can be a lot of things without being born again. You can be all kinds of different things. But as you get closer to Jesus, you can be very religious without being born again. You can know a lot of information. You can do a lot of really good things. You can be a good person. You can do all those things and still not be born again. Matter of fact, you can get really, really close to Jesus, really close to Jesus, and still not be born again. Look at Nicodemus. Can't get much closer than this. But you cannot be a Christian without being born again. That's what Jesus keeps saying. Don't, don't shoot the messenger, you know, right? That, that, these are not my words. This is what Jesus says. You, you can't be a follower of Jesus like he wants us to be without being born again. So it's, it's, this is not optional. It's not like, uh, you know, somebody says, hey, do you want fries with that? And you say, uh, yeah, I love fries. Give me some fries. Or then maybe say, well, I'm really trying to watch what I eat. So no fries for me today. It's not an option like that. It's a requirement. And therefore, to be born again, uh, Jesus says that if you are not, then not only will you not enter the kingdom of God, but it's even worse than that. You can't even see. You can't even see the kingdom of God. Well, that starts to really get our attention. At least it does for, for me anyway. And so therefore, this idea of born again, even though, again, a lot of people want to take a step away and distance themselves from the whole thing, not only is it a requirement, not an option, but also it's not a brand or a type or a denomination of Christianity. It's not a flavor of Christianity. No matter what the world has said, no matter how the world has tried to define it, no matter how the world has tried to, to corrupt or distort this phrase, born again, Jesus says it's required. And John, the gospel writer, helped us see that this was coming, this whole idea, all the way back in chapter one. We talked about chapter one, I don't know, four weeks ago maybe. And part of what we talked about in chapter one was what John says in verse 12. That helps us get a little bit better picture here in, in verse uh, 12 to 13 in John chapter 1. It says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now here, listen to this, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but, here's the key, born of God. So this idea of this, this new birth is what John is after, this new birth. What does it truly mean to be born again? And, and, and furthermore, just like Nicodemus wants to know, how is it possible? We want to know, well, how, how do I have that? How am I able to be born again? We want to know that. Well, it starts to help uh, when we look at verse 6 in John chapter 3, when we consider this, what Jesus says in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, in light of what we just read about being born of God in John chapter 1. In verse 6, in chapter 3, Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So there's something here. In other words, this new birth that John is talking about, this new birth that Nicodemus is 
questioning and wondering about. And, and, the, and the new birth that we want happens when God implants his Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which then changes everything because the Holy Spirit then gives us a new meaning, a new direction, a new understanding. Uh, we can see what we couldn't see before. He, he brings us out of the darkness and into the light. He unites us with who Jesus is. And we then are children of God, born of God, and born into the kingdom of God. It all depends on the work of God who draws us to himself. And it's only after this new birth that our eyes are finally opened. And we can see things the way that God wants us to see them. And when we can see the kingdom, and we know there is a kingdom, then we know there is a king, right? You can't have a kingdom without a king, right? This is basic. Can't have a kingdom without a king. But here's the deal. He's not just any king. He's not just any king. Not just a king, but he's our king. When we understand that Jesus is our king, when we've had this new birth, when we've been born again, then we know that there is a king. And once we know that there is a king that is our king, then the way that we interact with him changes. Instead of just pursuing him for answers and saying, I just, I really just need the right information in order to get this done. Can you, can you help me with the right information? We don't go to Jesus looking for information and in, in thinking that that's the answer. Instead, we turn to Jesus and know that he is the answer. Not information about the answer, but we look to him as the answer. And then when we, you know, we, we of course would like Jesus to respond to us. We've got a lot of questions. We have a lot of situations that we face in our lives. We would love for Jesus to respond to us. But once we understand that we have a king, and this king is Jesus, then we are far more concerned about how we respond to him. How do we respond to him? Will, will we receive him? How do we respond to him? This is not just a one-time thing, okay? It, of course, we come into this, this understanding, but not just intellectually, but we come into, out of the darkness and into the light when we receive Jesus for who he is. But it doesn't end there. It continues on and on and on. It's a relationship. God continues to fill us up with his spirit and we continue to grow in relationship with him. It's not just, well, I can check it off. Thank you very much. It's an ongoing relationship that Jesus continues to call us deeper and deeper into. But as we are born again and as we continue to be born anew and renewed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, then we know more than ever before, not just about him, but we know him. We know we can trust him. We know that we can believe in him and we know that we can follow him. But there's also a key here. We cannot control him. We cannot control him. So that's the second thing. We, we cannot give birth to ourselves. We cannot give birth to ourselves. Now, this maybe should be obvious, but none of you chose to be born, right? You were born and you had nothing to say about it. 
you just arrived on the scene. And the same is true from this spiritual birth. This spiritual birth is not something that we can cause or control or manipulate. This is something that happens as a result of the work of God. And so Jesus tries to explain it to Nicodemus, like, hey, look, buddy, uh, I can't give you the, the secret code of information to unlock the, the deep things that you think are inside of you to get this done. Instead, he, he describes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as the wind. In uh, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so this is important, and at the same time, it's also mysterious. Because, number one, it makes us uncomfortable because this idea of, well, wait a minute, you mean I'm not calling the shots? I'm not the one in charge here? Uh, I'm not the one who gets the say-so? Uh, we don't like that. We don't like that at all. But it's mysterious because Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit as the wind. And, well, we can conceptually understand, right, okay, well, we don't, we don't control the wind. We, we don't know where it's coming. We can't even see the wind. We can see the effects of the wind but we don't control the wind. And so what, what, what is Jesus actually saying? Is he saying that somehow the Holy Spirit is like this, this force, uh, this impersonal, unknowable force, or, or a power, like uh, that's more out of Star Wars, probably where they got it out of Star Wars, but uh, th this idea that this is not what Jesus is after. The Holy Spirit is not some unknowable, impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. And because he is a person, he has a will and he then does his work wherever and whenever it pleases him. Well, we don't like that very much. Now remember, this is mysterious. We can never fully grasp or understand this concept about this, uh, the, the Holy Spirit as a person. Uh, but remember, as Christians, we confess that we believe God to be one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this Holy Spirit of God, who, who implants himself in us, in our hearts, and then brings us into new birth, new life, is someone that we have a relationship with that we are not calling the shots in. We are not the ones running the show. Again, we can see the effects of the wind, but we can't control whether there is wind, where it comes from, or where it's going. And of course, this drives us absolutely crazy because we want to be in control. Like we talked about with all this, this self-help stuff. The self-help stuff shows us and our, our amazing ability to consume self-help type information confirms for us that we are all on a journey. We are all on a quest. We are all trying to fill a space in us that we know is not just quite the way that it needs to be. And that's the same journey that Nicodemus is on. He's, he's got a lot going for him. Even if your circumstances are totally different, maybe you don't have status. Maybe you don't have power. Maybe you don't have a lot of uh, financial resources. The reality of all of this is that Jesus comes for all. He comes for all of us, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're facing. But he comes for us. It's not us controlling what he is doing. 
And that is what is different about Christianity than any other religion. Any other religion really ends up boiling down to a system of trying to understand the right things and then to do the right things in the hopes that you can get from where you are to where God is. You're trying to get to where God is. You're, you're continually trying to build your resume so that God, who is not with you, will then, when you finally get to him, be really impressed with what you've accomplished. Say, great job. Boy, we really needed somebody like you. But instead, the Christian faith tells a completely different story, totally unique and completely incomprehensible to the world. And that is that God himself doesn't wait for us to come to him. He has come to us. He has come to us in the person of Jesus. And he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that is, believe it or not, that is Nicodemus that's his core problem. It's the same problem that we have. Is the problem he's really trying to solve, even though he can't articulate it this way at this particular time. The true problem he's trying to solve is a sin problem. He has a sin problem, and the only answer for that is this relationship with Jesus, this new birth with Jesus, to be put to death in the old and raised to the new, this, this new birth. And, and we want this just like Nicodemus wanted this. Look, look what Nicodemus says. I, my heart just goes out to this guy. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, how can this be? How can this be? But what he's really asking is the same question that you and I are asking. How can this be for me? If what you say, Jesus, if what you are promising is true, then how can it be true for me? Nicodemus wants to know, how can I be born again? But part of being born again means that we first have to recognize our resume's got to go in the garbage can. All of our accomplishments, all of our, our uh, sanctification status or, or good things that we've done or, or how much evidence we can collect about what a good person we are, all of those things, they got to go away. We have, to, we have to surrender our entire essence to God and say, you know what? Turns out, even though I really would rather go down this road of self-help, it turns out there's not enough self-help for us to help ourselves out of this sin problem. We can't do this ourselves. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me for the ways that I've tried to be God instead of have a God. When we confess and repent, then what do we do? We turn to God. We turn to God because new birth requires death to the old. New birth requires death to the old. We have to set aside all of our schemes and all of our plans and we have to turn to him and say, I can't do it. You have got to come and rescue me. And the way that Jesus explains this, this rescuing, this redemption, this uh, new birth, 
is very peculiar. If we, if we don't know the background on this, we might not have any idea what Jesus is talking about. But know this. Nicodemus, remember? Smart, well-educated, uh, very religious. Nicodemus would have known what is happening here, this example that Jesus is using. But, but look at uh, verses 13 to 15. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now think about that. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Moses and a snake? Uh, what? Lifting a snake up, and this has something to do with new birth? If we don't understand what Jesus is actually pointing back to, we, we will not get the reference. And this goes all the way back almost at the beginning of your Bible. I know you guys all spend a lot of time reading the book of Numbers, so uh, you probably know this right away. Numbers chapter 21. Uh, we're we're going to just read these verses. You can go back and read the whole thing. Uh, it's probably marked in your Bible. Numbers 21. This is, uh, this is what happened. Now, I got to give you a little bit of a background to get us to this point. And that's simply that, remember, the Israelites had been rescued by God through this, this guy named Moses. Moses had brought the Israelites out of Egypt, where they had been enslaved for 400 and some odd years. They were in bondage, uh, and, and the Lord intervenes to take them to the promised land, this land that has been promised to generations and generations and generations and generations, all the way back to Abraham. This land had been promised, but the promise had not been delivered. Well, now God intervenes in Moses. He frees the people, and Moses leads them, and they're on the way in the wilderness going to this promised land. And I know this is going to come as a shock to everybody here, but as the people were on the journey, it was hard. And you know what they did? They complained. They complained. The word I like is murmuring. That's a fun word to say. They murmured. And they complained about everything. They complained about the weather. They complained uh, about the food and the drink and the accommodations and the living situations and everything. They complained about all of it. Matter of fact, they complained to the point that they said, well, you know what? It would be better for us to just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back to Egypt. We'll go back to Egypt, uh, back into slavery, back into bondage, and because at least there we ate really well. And of course, sure, we were slaves, but that, that you know, it, other than that, the living accommodations were much better. Let's go back there. Well, this holy God who rescued these people is not happy about that. Not happy about that. That is the biggest rejection that God could possibly ever have is no thanks, we'll take it from here. And so he punished the people harshly. A lot of times we don't like to think about this, but let's, let's take a listen to what happened. Numbers 21, verses 6 to 9. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, Anyone who is bitten can look on it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, this is very strange. 
Of course it's very strange. So what was happening is these snakes were biting the people and this poisonous venom then entered their bodies and some of them would die right away. Others of them maybe, you know, lasted for a long time, but it was a fatal situation. You got bitten by the snake, you got poisoned by the venom, you were on the way out. And God intervened through Moses and said, Moses, make this, make this bronze serpent. And whenever the people look to that, then they will live instead of die. Very peculiar, but you know what? Think about it this way. Next, if you're on your way home today or you sometimes see uh, an ambulance that passes you by, take a good look at the symbol on the side of the ambulance and you will see a rod with a snake wrapped around it. Because the, the idea being that we look to the people uh, in the ambulance to help save us from whatever medical or health emergency we might be having. It's the same kind of thing that's happening here. The people are looking upon this bronze serpent and they are living instead of dying. But, but think about how the very thing that was killing them, the snakes, the very thing that was killing them becomes the thing that they look upon and it saves them. And so when Jesus is referring to this, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's talking about how he is the ultimate fulfillment of exactly this. It's exactly this same thing because Jesus himself came. Remember, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how does he do that? He loads up the sins of the world, past, present, and future, upon himself. He takes the sin upon himself. Matter of fact, listen to how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Jesus became sin itself. Then he was raised up, lifted up, and put to death on a Roman cross so that all who look to him, all who turn to him, all who recognize him will be saved. And so for you, no matter where you're at, maybe this whole born again idea is something that you've been somebody that's like, thank you very much, I'm good. Maybe today is the day that if you feel this yearning and you feel like God is knocking on the door of your heart, maybe today is the day that you open the door and let him in. Will you receive Jesus for who he is? Will you come out of the darkness and into the light? And maybe you've been a, a, a Christian and you know Jesus and you, you can see the kingdom and you can see that we have a king. And maybe that's you. And maybe you've just never thought, well, that actually means... I'm born again. I maybe didn't know it, but it turns out I am born again. Because remember, you can't be a Christian unless you are born again. So maybe today is the day that you embrace and recognize that truth about who you are and who Jesus is. When we look to him as, as Savior, when we look upon him as the one who has done for us what we can't do for ourselves, especially in this idea of we can never help 
ourselves enough to get out of the sin problem that we have. When we look to Jesus to be the answer, then you and I are born again and it's renewed over and over and over again. Depending on your circumstances in your life, maybe it's a daily occurrence. You have to go back to God and you have to ask him to fill you with his spirit again, over and over again. Maybe it's even, maybe it's even hour by hour or moment by moment, depending on what you're struggling with in your life. And so for all of us now, in light of this, this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, I want to ask just three questions as we close here. First question is, are you looking to Jesus because you want to have a conversation or a conversion? Are you looking to him just so that you can create a self-help plan for yourself? Or are you looking for him to convert you by bringing you out of the darkness and into the light, into this new birth? I, I got to tell you one anecdotal story. I know I've talked about my medical trouble in the past, but one thing that happened as a result of, of the surgery that I had was that my heart would flip into AFib, right? And if you don't know what that is, it's not pleasant. But I had had this a couple times, and each time I had to end up having the, the panels get out and they had to shock you and then they put you back into regular rhythm, right? But they always want to do something else first. They always want to like, well, let's try this drug or this drip or this, that. And I always am like, look, just get the shockers out and let's get this over with. And so the last time I was down at the hospital, they wanted to talk about it. They were like, well, we could do it. Blah, blah, blah. I said, we could talk all day. We'd have a conversation. I don't need a conversation. What I need is a conversion. I need a conversion. And so because I said that, then <laughs> after they gave me the shock and my heart went back into normal rhythm, I, I don't really do well on any kind of drugs of any kind. Uh, like in the, you, they give you something at the hospital, it makes me crazy. Well, so when I was coming to, apparently the doctor came to me and said, we converted you <laughs> with electricity. And apparently I launched into what I guess was described by the staff as a somewhere between a 20 and 25 minute sermon <laughs> for anyone there. And I was at some point became aware of the words coming out of my mouth. And the woman, the nurse, she was so nice. She's like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, how long have I been talking? Well, you've been going for a good 20 minutes. I said, well, what am I doing? She said, I would say it, you've been giving a sermon. So are we looking to have a conversation or are we looking for conversion? It's, it's not the same thing. And the second thing, when it comes to being born again, when we've used this phrase over and over again, maybe you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you feel threatened by that. Maybe you feel like, I would really rather be in charge, thank you very much. Well, if that's you today, I hope that someone else in your life will be called by the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to, to help you understand that this is not a threat, but instead it's something that we can be thankful for. And so are you threatened or are you thankful about being born again? And if you are thankful, then find someone who you know is threatened by this and come alongside them and help them understand who Jesus is and how they too can be born again. 
And then the last question is, just like Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the wind blowing, not something that we can control. The question I have for you is, do people see the effects of new birth in your life? Do people see the effect? We can't control the wind. We can't even see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. And so are the effects of the Holy Spirit, the wind, the way that the Spirit is leading and guiding you in your life, is that evident to other people? Are you blowing through your life where the Holy Spirit is leading you, letting him be your guide instead of you guiding yourself? Think about those questions today and continue to surrender and understand how much this Jesus loves you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you that, that you are glorified and lifted up, not just by accident, but you purposely came to do this so that we could be saved, so that when we turn to you and we look to you, that we no longer have to be desperate. We no longer have to be on the constant hunt for more self-help information to try to solve our own problems, but instead we live lives of surrender to you and to your Holy Spirit. And we confess that we could never be enough on our own. We need you, Lord. We need you right now, today, every day, every hour, every moment. Continue, Lord, to give us this new birth and guide us into knowing you more deeply and following you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name.